Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a new grant at the University of Mississippi Medical Center will study obesity in the Magnolia State in hopes of making a change. If we make a lot of scientific advances but don't do anything about Mississippi's obesity problem, then we will not have succeeded. It's very important that we make a difference in in public health in Mississippi, and I think we can. Then, going out in the field with those on the front line of fighting mosquito-borne disease, the Mosquito Hunters. Later, a visit from the experts of everyday tech on privacy, and the latest on the work being done by Alzheimer's Mississippi. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi has one of the highest adult obesity rates in the nation. According to the State of Obesity, Better Policies for a Healthier America. The state's adult obesity rate is currently 35.5%. That's up from 23.7% in 2000 and from 15% in 1990. To understand more about obesity in Mississippi and the health risks associated with it, the University of Mississippi Medical Center will use a $19.9 million grant to become a world class facility in the study of obesity. The National Institutes of Health awarded UMMC the grant to help pay for training and staffing to enhance their obesity research. Dr. James Wilson of UMMC tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the potential for the research is great. Well, the overall point is to develop a sustainable research enterprise that will gradually and, and hopefully not so gradually find ways to intervene in Mississippi's obesity epidemic and improve the health of Mississippians. When you say that, are you looking for results? Are you going to be studying ways to get people to uh, lose weight and stay at that weight? Yes, uh, this is what's called translational research, so it can involve anything from work in the wet lab that establishes biological principles to interventional studies at the community, at the individual or community level. Uh, So, yes, we will be supporting work that will hopefully lead community interventions that can begin to change the obesity problem in Mississippi. If we make a lot of scientific advances but don't do anything about Mississippi's obesity problem, then we will not have succeeded. It's very important that we make a difference in, in public health in Mississippi, and I think we can. What are you seeing in terms of the problem in the state? How is it, how is it manifesting? Well, w- one of the most striking things about the obesity epidemic is, is that it is an epidemic that has arisen over the last, say, three decades. People were not this obese Uh, in 1990. There has been a really big change, not just in Mississippi, but nationally in the number of people who are obese. Uh, Clearly, people's 
genes haven't changed in that time, and so this has to be an environmental problem, uh, and we need to identify the aspects of the uh, the environment that have changed and find ways to change back to more healthy lifestyles. For example, cooking at home rather than eating out, which is what a lot of people do now. Um, eating, starting with with fresh vegetables uh, rather than cooking with uh, um, prepared foods. You know, there, there are lots, lots of potentially effective ways to approach this, but one of the roles of science is to design experiments so that we see which ways really have a basis in fact uh, and which approaches can get results. So you're going to be looking at ways to study the issue in such a way that you have real answers that impact people's lives. Absolutely. And, and, and the uh, um, point of the CCTR, the Center for Clinical and Translational Research, really is not to do the research so much itself, but to develop an infrastructure that will support an expanding group of investigators who will grow their own uh, programs, who will have sustained grant funding for decades uh, so that we will be, albeit a very large seed, we will be a seed program to produce an expanding uh, set of, uh, of investigators, not only at University of Mississippi Medical Center, but also at University of Southern Mississippi, Tougaloo College, and all of the universities in the state. Uh, one, of the, one of the important goals of this uh, project is to encourage collaboration among our institutions of higher learning. And so if we can accomplish the goal of developing established investigators at each of these institutions, then we will have the, the broadest and, and greatest impact. You've got two buildings that are going up. Are they going to be involved in this? Certainly one of them is. Uh, um, yes, that building will, will have a direct uh, impact on translational research in the state. When I say <laughs> translational, I mean taking scientific findings from basic scientific discoveries to application in individuals and in the community. Okay, so basically putting science to work is what translation is. And, and we, one of those two buildings is for translational science. The other one is also very, ha uh, very important to the health of Mississippians in that it is a new medical school building where we will have state-of-the-art classrooms uh, and all new space to train the next several generations of Mississippi physicians. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Dr. James Wilson of UMMC on the new $19.9 million grant the Medical Center got to study obesity and related health problems in the state. Up next, going out in the field with those on the front line of fighting mosquito-borne disease, the mosquito hunters. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. We don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we will be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. MPB is getting its very own car tag. But first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Researchers at the University of Southern Mississippi are sampling mosquitoes in every county in the state this summer. It's part of an effort with the state health department to look for a mosquito long absent in the state that is primarily responsible for spreading the Zika virus. Graduate student Hunter Dearman was recently sampling mosquitoes in Hancock County. He tells MPB's Evelina Burnett the life of a mosquito hunter is always interesting. We're doing survey work in the the whole state of Mississippi. We're going to every county, but we're in charge of actually the lower 23 counties, including the coast counties here. So uh, what we do is we go to uh, each county. We, we choose five random spots in each county, and then we try to get select five samples in each one of those, those places. So, um, Do you have to keep going back to the same places? We, uh, we do sometimes because they're, they're really, there's a lot of different places for us to choose from. So some like tire places, they have so many tires, we can go back several times and get different, different tires each time. But some places we do go to, uh, they may be dry or they might have gotten rid of the tires, and so we'll have to find another place. So basically what we do is we just drive around and look for um, places like that, and we'll stop and we'll get permission to sample. Uh, cemeteries are a really good place because uh, of the vases that are in the cemeteries. A lot of people use these plastic vases, and they don't realize there's no holes in the bottom. Um, those collect water, and then uh, you get a lot of detritus from uh, plants, plant material, grasses, and, and whatnot. They get down into those containers, and also dead insects fall in there, and it's a really good environment for mosquito larvae to um, thrive in. And the species that we're looking for, Aedes aegypti, it's actually a container species. We have several uh, species that just breed in small containers, and vases are perfect sizes, and tires as well. Uh, tires are the same way. They just get left out in the open. They collect water, collect uh, plant materials and insect materials, and they're just perfect places for mosquitoes to breed in. And so that's what we do. And what about here? We're behind a shopping center. Yes, behind we're behind a shopping center because uh, there's a lot of buckets, there's a lot of trash cans, a lot of trash laying around, as you can see. Um, they all collect water and dirt and just materials over time, and that just creates a great environment for mosquitoes as well. Uh, basically, this is just kind of a, we were driving around looking, and just we rode behind this place and just saw several containers, and we hopped out. And every time we've come back to this place, there's been numerous containers full of mosquito larvae. How long have you been doing this? Uh, we've been doing this since the beginning of the summer. We're doing it once a month. We did uh, June, May, June, July, and August. So once a month we'll go through and do do the whole round uh, because different species they breed. They're more uh, they breed at different times of the summer. So we want to get the whole the whole breeding season to see what we can get. Okay, so show me. Can you show me what you do? Sure. All right. So we have these plastic containers that we use to collect the water in, and we have uh, little cups here, and. Um, turkey basters okay turkey basters are perfect thing to collect mosquitoes with so basically what we do is we just walk around and we look in a container and we see if there's water in there uh and just we can see them with our naked eye you can see the mosquitoes swimming around so for instance this container here uh you can see there's a lot of water at the bottom and you see all this dirt and stuff right here that provides a lot of nutrients for these mosquitoes the mosquito larvae actually feed directly on these nutrients and if you look you can see See that mosquito larva swimming around there? Yeah. And we just suck out some water and we'll put it in to our container and you see a mosquito larva right there. And that is of the 80s genus right there. I can just look at it and tell. Um, we, use, we take these back to our lab at Southern Miss um, in Hattiesburg campus and we look at them underneath the microscope. We have some keys that we can key them out to species. Um, but you can, after you've done this for a while, you can just look at it and tell what um, genus that is, just by the way it swims actually. And so we just, we'll hit it a few times, we'll suck in different areas and squirt it out. 
and we'll put it back in our container and take it back to the lab and we'll label it and so we'll know exactly where this species um, this sample came from in case we do find something like the ordinary like the uh, Aedes aegypti we're looking for we'll be able to come right back to this location and, and look at other containers to see if we can find more of it so um, you are actually looking for larvae as opposed to whole, like you know adult mosquitoes yes uh, larvae are a lot easier to locate um, and identify for us we, we like to uh, identify the larvae because they're they're contained and we can find uh, with adult mosquitoes you may not find a whole maybe find one or two here or there but larvae whenever they uh, do hatch out their eggs here it's usually there can be several hundred from one uh, female so what is like the um, you know sort of most difficult place that you have gone to to try to sample uh, what, what is the most difficult place some of the cemeteries can be pretty difficult because uh, cemeteries are mainly in really open spots and so if it's a it's been really sunny for the past few days they may draw those vases out just like that so we'll go you know expecting to find a bunch of uh, water and vases but they'll be completely dry but lately we've had a lot of rain so that's just setting up just perfect environments for mosquitoes so there's going to be a huge outburst of mosquitoes within the next week or so so yeah i think you're probably the only person excited about that <laughs> <laughs> i am pretty excited about it actually <laughs> MPB's Evelina Burnett with USM grad student Hunter Dearman on hunting mosquitoes in Mississippi. Up next, a visit from the experts of Everyday Tech on privacy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Well, the conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated. With less than three months to Election Day, we don't know what's going to happen between now and then. But whatever it is, we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. Coming up on the next Now You're Talking, this morning at 10, Marshall Ramsey will speak with award-winning illustrator, concept designer, cartoonist, and animator Tim Fielder. He is the founder of Diesel Funk Studios and Afrofuture Fest. We'll find out what it means to be an Afrofuturist and how he made the New York Times recently for his coverage of the Republican and Democratic conventions. Be sure to tune in for Now You're Talking as Marshall Ramsey speaks with Tim Fielder this morning at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sharita Brent here with Ashley Jeffcoat, Digital Media Director at MPB. This morning we're going to be talking about privacy. We're going to specifically focus on how to create privacy on your phone. And one way to do that is with passwords. I think passwords are a big deal just in case you lose your phone, you misplace it, you have sensitive information on your phone, and you have a password and people can't get into it. So talk a little bit about the importance of passwords. No, I mean, if you think about how much you use your phone and what you use your phone for, chances are you've got all kinds of really personal information on it, whether that's things like pictures Mm -hmm. of your family or friends, your contact information, which will have addresses for people, phone numbers for people, for yourself, all kinds of stuff like that. You can have um, apps like with, that have banking information. You might have stuff saved on your phone that has banking information or so- social security information or even passwords for other things right. on it. Um, and anything like that, your email has so much information about you on it. Taking a look at someone's phone can tell you a lot about who that person is and make it really identity for your really easy for your identity to get stolen and nobody wants that. So creating a passcode is a great first level of security for your phone to really help keep people, if they 
pick up your phone from wherever you leave it, whether it's you just left it sitting on your desk and you went to a meeting or you left it sitting in a restaurant and forgot about it or you lost it and you have no idea where it is. That passcode right there at the beginning, whatever, however you decide to set it up, if you want it with the pattern or with an actual number sequence, that is a great first level of security to keep people from just getting straight into your phone and getting the information off of it. So definitely, definitely important. You need to have one. Yeah. And so there are all kinds of uh, passwords you can have. You can have like a pattern. You can have a numerical password. You can do fingerprint. I think you can have mm-hmm. facial recognition. So I specifically have a pattern. I have an Android phone and I have the option to not make the pattern visible, you know, when I draw right. it. So it just looks like I'm just doing something funny on the phone. But really, it's a pattern that I'm aware of. And if I want anybody else to have it, I can. So right. uh, how do you go about setting those up for iPhone? So, um, well, we'll also talk about how to set them up for Android, too. So for mm-hmm. iPhone, the way you do it is you go to settings and then on settings. And this is on the latest version of iOS. You'll look for Touch ID and passcode. If your phone is a little bit older, it'll just say passcode. So don't worry about it if you don't see the touch ID, if your phone does not support touch ID. From there, you can change all of the settings regarding it. You can add fingers to your touch ID screen. I've added several of my own fingers. All of this requires you to also have a numerical code just in case something happens to your finger and it can't read your finger anymore. You can always use your passcode and type it in. But you can also tell it exactly what kind of passcode you want. So it doesn't just have to be the four-letter passcode, but you can make it more complicated. You can, it's, there's a little option that says simple passcode, and you can turn that off, and then you can set all kinds of stuff on it, and which can be a lot more secure than just having a four-digit number. On an Android phone, what you do is you go to settings, you scroll down, and then under the personal tab, there's a security that has a little lock on it. You tap on that, and that'll take you to the security options where you can set up things like if your phone supports facial recognition, you can set that up. You can set up your patterns, any kind of settings, like you said, um, if you wanted to have it visible or non-visible to people trying to unlock the phone. Right. So uh, one more thing. Let's talk about really quickly an app to find your phone, or is there a way for your phone to be located in in the event that you do misplace it? Yeah, there's several different options for this. Um, There are some third-party things that you can get for Android that'll support the GPS been pinging your phone and usually there's a website that you can go to and log in and it'll find your phone for you. A lot of these also support things like remote wipes. So that way if you do lose your phone and it's stolen, you can wipe your phone remotely and that'll take all of your personal information on it and set it back to factory settings. And that will super, super secure. You can send us an email before the show to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Ashley Jeffcoat, I'm Sharita Brent. Thanks so much for listening, folks. The conventions are over. Candidates have been nominated with less than three months to Election Day. You don't know what's going to happen between now and then, but we'll be here to help you understand it. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. 
Mississippi Public Broadcasting has partnered with StoryCorps to share first-person accounts of the lives of Mississippians from all walks of life. StoryCorps' mission is to preserve and share the stories of American lives through personal interviews. You can hear these locally recorded interviews each Tuesday morning at 8.30 as part of Mississippi Edition on NPB Think Radio. These segments will also be available at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. About 52,000 Mississippians live with Alzheimer's disease. That's according to the Journal of the Alzheimer's Association's 2010 estimates. That number is expected to rise to 65,000 by 2025. Nationwide, 5.4 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's. Patty Dunn, executive director of Alzheimer's Mississippi, tells us the group recently changed its name and reaffirmed its commitment to keeping all of its donations in the state to work on on research, care, and support. The name has changed because um, Alzheimer's Mississippi Incorporated has made a decision to take uh, take an opportunity and become an independent not-for-profit in the state of Mississippi. What are some of the changes, some of the recent changes that have led to that maybe and, and the fruits of your labor since changing the name? Sure, sure. So we had uh, been a part of uh, the national organization for, you know, uh, 20 years or so. So there are, you know, 52 organizations as a, have an affiliation agreement with the national organization. And the national organization made a decision to take all of these separate entities and roll them into one single 501c3 organization. And so boards were faced with, you know, a strategic decision, a financial decision, and a services decision as to whether or not they wanted to remain, you know, in that national network or remain an independent organization focusing, you know, strictly on their local service area as it was. Um, you know, so over an 18 to 24-month period, the boards, you know, conducted a lot of research, had a lot of meetings. There were a lot of meetings with the national organization and, and other entities who were faced with the same decision. And ultimately, you know, the board decided that we could best serve Mississippians by focusing on Mississippi. How many Mississippians are you serving? People with Alzheimer's and their families? Sure. There's approximately 52,000 Mississippians who are currently living with Alzheimer's disease. 52,000? Yes. And, and, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's an additional over 200,000 people who are unpaid caregivers, families, friends, neighbors, who are caring for those folks. Patty, explain to our listeners why Alzheimer's is a a fatal disease. Why does someone ultimately die from Alzheimer's? Alzheimer's disease is a brain degenerative disease. Um, It proteins build up in the brain and destroy brain cells and the neurons that connect those brain cells. And ultimately, um, the buildup is so strong that the brain can no longer communicate with the body and the brain dies and thus the body dies. The body dies too because it's not sending the signals that your heart needs to work, your lungs need to work? That's correct. That's correct. Are there any ways to to uh, elongate one's life with Alzheimer's? Well, you know, a lot of the focus, you know, currently and probably in the next, you know, multitude of years is focusing on, you know, what are these prevention techniques? Although there's, you know, there's there's no ultimate way, no proven evidence-based um, research that says that you can prevent Alzheimer's disease. You know, what we do know is that your brain is connected to your heart, you, you know, and your, your brain is connected, 
you know, to you in, in its totality. So if if you're taking care of the body, if you're taking care of the brain by socializing, if you're, you know, eating healthy, you're exercising, um, you know, then th- then there are opportunities to, you know, elongate your life from that regard. So we are certainly, you know, proponents of taking care of the whole person. What is your website? It is alzms.org. Patty Dunn is the executive director of Alzheimer's Mississippi. Thank you, Patty. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up this morning, it's Gestalt Gardener, Next Stop Mississippi, and Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show, there are several ways you can listen. On our website, mpbonline.org, through the MPB Multimedia app, or search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. You can subscribe to the show right there. Let me uh, correct earlier, coming up is actually Deep South Dining. uh, And then uh, now you're talking with Marshall Ramsey. And also Southern Remedy. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit Express, ATMs for business and personal banking. No deposit slips, no envelopes, no waiting. Most deposits made by 9 p.m. weekdays are credited that day. Details at Trustmark.com, member FDIC. It's Marketplace Tech for Monday the 22nd. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. If you are like me, you might be taking some time here and there to look at your friend's Instagram posts today. 